you're in each of those passages because we'll be looking uh, a bit at both of those today. And I want to, uh, first of all, just uh, bring our time before the Lord in prayer. Let's do that together. Lord, as we've just sung, indeed you have done great things. Lord, as we think about uh, what you have done, we want to focus this morning on the fact that you are the one who has indeed brought us near to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, we would still be lost in our sins. Lord, we also thank you this morning for the fact that uh, we have your word. Your word that points us to Jesus Christ. Your word that reveals to us our need for him as our great high priest and saviour. Lord, as we focus this morning on these passages, we pray that uh, as we look at the priestly garments, that uh, it might again just uh, perhaps give us an even greater and more glorious picture of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us through his death and through his resurrection. And so we commit this time to you now and ask for your Holy Spirit to indeed speak to our hearts as only you are able to. Amen. A well-known American author, Mark Twain, once said, it is the clothes that make the man. The clothes that make the man. I think he might might have stolen this from William Shakespeare who uh, actually wrote in his play Hamlet, for the apparel oft proclaims the man. Of course, what these sayings are really pointing to is the fact that, uh, you know, what one wears usually is taken by another person as a means of determining the level of status or the level of, uh, of, of importance or value that, that we give to that person. You know, that we, we often make that judgment based on what they wear. And uh, it's interesting that our passage this morning that we have before us, particularly in uh, Exodus 28, is very much illustrative of, of, of that particular thought. The clothes make the man. Here in Exodus 28, what we're going to be looking at are the clothes that were to be worn by the high priest and as he carried out his duties in the tabernacle. The high priest in this case being Aaron, the first high priest, Moses' brother. Now the largest, the largest proportion of this particular chapter in chapter 28 really focuses on this whole aspect of their priestly garb, their priestly outfits. It was the clothing of the priests that actually set them apart among the people of God. The items that that, that Aaron and the other priests wore gave them an important place within the people of God, within the community of faith. And the key thing we need to remember today is this though, that Although the, the, you know, the clothes might represent the person, it's not actually how we actually you know, profess or, or portray ourselves to others for their approval that's the most important thing. The most important thing is, in fact, gaining the approval of God. Another important thing to keep in mind is that although these pieces of clothing have to do with the, the ministry of the tabernacle, like the other furnishings of the tabernacle we, that we've looked at over the past couple of months, we need to understand that they point to something far greater than themselves, and that is the priestly work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. 
You know, as you read through this, uh, this passage in Exodus 28, right through to verse 43, you'll see that there is an awful lot of detail given about the, uh, the, the, the items that particularly the high priest was meant to wear. And we're not going to cover all of it because we just don't have the time this morning. But what I want us to focus on particularly is three aspects of, this, of, of the clothing of the high priest, of Aaron's clothing, that point to Aaron bearing something bearing specific things in regards to the people of Israel. And this passage says that Aaron will bear, first of all, the names of the people as a remembrance. We see that in verse 12 of our passage this morning in Exodus 28. He will bear their names as a remembrance before God. Not only that, Aaron will also bear the judgment of the people. Again, we see that in verse 30 of Exodus 28. And finally, Aaron, as the high priest, shall bear the guilt of the holy things of the people of Israel that they consecrate to God. And what we need to see behind it is that all of these point to what Jesus himself would bear for us in his priestly ministry. Before we get into these, though, what I want to do is I want to focus on, on one uh, thing particular before we uh, sort of address these, these three aspects of, of Aaron bearing something. And that is that as we look at this passage, as we look at verse 1, we see that, that the priesthood, that, that Aaron's high priestly ministry was in fact brought about, was instigated by God. See that in verse 1. God commands Moses, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. It was at God's instigation that Aaron and his sons and the, the remainder of his family line, they would continue to be priests in the house of God, in the tabernacle of God. It was God who actually called them and set them apart. And in addition to this, we see that it was, God, that it was God's purpose that they were called to specifically serve who? To serve him. He says, bring Aaron and your, you know, your brother and your sons from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. He says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garden, garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. God was saying, I was setting apart these people first and foremost to serve him, to be his priests. What we need to understand here first and foremost is that we cannot choose to worship God any old how. We cannot be the ones who determine the type of worship that we bring to God and on what basis we bring that and on what, you know, what kind of qualities and that sort of thing we bring that. Only God can choose that. Only God can appoint that. It is God alone who determines the means by which he is approached and worshipped. See, there is acceptable worship and there is unacceptable worship as two of the sons of, of, of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, will discover in Leviticus chapter 10 where they bring the wrong kind of worship before God and are killed for it. The 
God is holy and commands proper awe and reverence. There's one thing that has come out of this series on the tabernacle. I hope that is it. That God himself is indeed the Holy One. That he is the one who makes it possible for anyone to be able to come into his presence. But when we do, we must never come into his presence flippantly. We must always come into his presence as he has commanded, as he has shown us the way through Jesus Christ. And we must come with that proper reverence and awe of him. One point to note here is that Aaron and his sons were called from among the people of Israel. Did you see that in verse 1? See, they were, they, were, they were called from among the people so that they would share a common bond and identity with the people. A priest is someone, is, is, is a person who represents people before God and to offer the various sacrifices prescribed in God's law on their behalf. And so as a representative of the people, it was important that they understood the people, that they understood who it was that they were representing. And being called from among the people, being human beings like the people they were representing, they knew the weaknesses, they knew the failings, they knew how hard it was to serve God and worship God according to God's plan and purpose. They had an appreciation for the people's situation and for their condition. Not only were they to be from among the people, but they were also to be distinct from the people, especially Aaron the high priest. In verse 2 it says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. As Aaron was robed in these, these garments, he, the people were to see him and they were to see someone who was indeed completely different from everyone else within the community of faith. Someone who actually wore garments of beauty and glory, reflecting the beauty and the glory of the one whom he served, God. This verse could also be translated that the garments were to give him dignity and honour as well, pointing to this, this unique standing that he would have amongst the people of God. Now, the garments we're talking about are listed in verse 4. And I've got a bit of a picture up there on the, uh, the screens that you can see. In verse 4, it says, These are the garments, God says, These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. And they shall receive gold, blue, purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. What do those materials remind us of? They're the same materials used in the tabernacle, aren't they? They were the same kind of materials used to create the tabernacle, the curtains and all the, you know, the, the beautiful furnishings and things like that. Gold and then purple and scarlet and blue yarns of fine twined linen. They were made from, the, from these materials symbolising their complete association with the ministry of the tabernacle and of its purpose. 
Sorry, I've put I've gone one slide too many. There we go. These materials were made of the same kind of materials as the tabernacle so that they were associated with the, the, the tabernacle itself and with its ministry and purpose. Now the ephod, which is the, uh, the outer garment there that you can see in the, uh, in the diagram, was a kind of apron and was made from two pieces joined at the shoulder, front and back joined at the shoulders. And on the shoulders were set onyx stones, each engraved with the names of the sons of Israel, six on each stone. So as the high priest went into, uh, into the tabernacle and into the, the holy place and the most holy place once a year, these stones were on his shoulders and, and it was symbolic. As, as God looked down on the high priest, he was looking down, he was seeing the, the names of the sons of Israel there on his shoulders. And so the priest was, was bringing the people before God and remembering them before God as though God really needed to remember who they were. Of course he wasn't, but it was, a, it was symbolic. Any time that Aaron went into the tabernacle, he would have to dress himself in these specific garments right down to his underwear that you'll read about in, in that Exodus 28 passage. He could not go into God's presence apart from wearing these specific items that God had commanded him to wear. And as I said, as he appeared before God, he did so bearing the names of the sons of Israel on his shoulders. He would be bringing them before God. Now we've got a bit of a, a saying in our language, you know, to, 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 to bear something on our shoulders. What does that often mean? It means to bear a weight, doesn't it? To bear a responsibility, to carry a load for someone. And so we see that, that these stones there placed on the shoulders of the high priest also symbolized the weight of responsibility that he had to, to bring the people of God, bring you know, God's people before him into the most holy place. And that he was the only one who was able to do that. Of course, as the, as the, the high priest. He would carry the people. He would bear the weight of responsibility for the people. He would bear the weight of responsibility, not just for them to bring them before God, but he would, we will see that he will bear the responsibility for their sin as he is the only one who is called to actually carry out that sacrifice, bringing the sacrifices before God on the people's behalf. He was the people's representative. And just as Aaron came into the presence of God, it was though the very people themselves were being brought into the very presence of God. And it was the only way that that could happen. Attached to the ephod on the front there, you'll see the breast piece. And the breast piece was a kind of a, a pocket, if you like, about 20 centimetres square. And, uh, and what uh, this particular um, uh, breast piece had was, was 12 stones, four rows of three stones. And on each of those stones was engraved one of the names of the tribes of Israel, or the sons of Israel. We see that in verses 15 through to 21 of our passage. You can read that a bit later. But in verse 29, we're told that in this way, Aaron would have the people on his heart. That breastpiece covered the heart of the high priest. And so as the stones were there and the names of the people were engraved on it, he would have the people of God on his heart. 
course, it was speaking of the love and the care and the compassion that he needed to have for the people. It was a beautiful picture, actually, of, um, of Jesus in, in his earthly ministry as he comes to Jerusalem for, for one of the very last times that he'll come before he dies on the cross. And as he comes and it's the, 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 he sees Jerusalem, it's the, uh, after he's sort of come in that triumphal entry where all the people are praising him, he comes and he stands and he looks over Jerusalem and he grieves and he weeps for the people. He's so moved in his heart for the people because he knows how deeply they are lost in their sin and their need for a saviour and that he is going to be their saviour. But many of them are just, they're just not going to see that. And he grieves, he weeps over them. He's, it says that he's filled with compassion. He's moved in the very core of his being for these people. And it's the same kind of love and compassion that Jesus has for all of mankind, for you and for me today, that he is so moved in the very core of his being because of our need for a saviour, someone to bring us into the very presence of God, that we might enjoy that relationship with him, that our sins may be forgiven. interesting that contained in this breast piece were the, what, the, the, the mysterious Urim and the, and the Thummim. I'll try and say that three times fast. <laughs> and we're not really sure particularly what these are because really, there's really no description of them in, 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 in the Bible. But they were means by which the, the, the people of, 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 of the Israelites' day were able to understand the guidance of God. It was God's way of communicating his guidance and his will for his people. Aaron was to have on his heart, again, these particular, this particular, these particular instruments, if you like, for the purpose of guiding the people of God. So he had God's purpose there over his heart as well. So not only did he have the people, the love and the care and compassion of the people on his heart, but he also had the divine purpose of God weighing on his heart as well. Do you see that? God's very will and purpose for his people, that had to be on the high priest's heart too, first and foremost. Head, Aaron was to wear a turban or a headpiece. And attached to that turban would be a gold plate across his forehead with the words inscribed on it, Holy to the Lord. We see that in verse 36 of Exodus 28. And this way, Aaron was to, to bear the guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrated as their holy gifts and offerings to God, their sacrifices to God. See, so the ministry and the person of the high priest in carrying out these various duties and offering the required sacrifices that God had commanded on behalf of the people, this was the only means by which the people were made acceptable to God. The only way that people were made acceptable before God. We see that in verse 38 of our passage. It says, It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord.
Can you see the importance of, these, of this clothing as, 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 as the high priest says, Aaron would have, would have donned those various items, starting with the, the tunic underneath, the, the white seamless tunic that was underneath, and then the blue robe, and then the, the purple ephod, and the breastpiece, and the turban, and the plate across his head. Well, by the way, the underwear underneath that too, by the way. All right? As Aaron donned these clothes he recognised that he was indeed taking on himself the very purposes of God for his people, but he was also taking on himself the responsibility to be the representative of the people before God. And it was the only way that they could ever hope to have any kind of connection with God, any kind of communion with God, any kind of blessing from God. So what we're meant to see that in Aaron the high priest, the people we're meant to see is that they needed someone to be their representative before God. They needed someone to represent them before God and we ourselves need someone to represent us before God. Someone like us but also different to us. Someone who is perfect. Someone to bear our guilt and offer the appropriate sacrifice to reconcile us to God. And of course that person is Jesus Christ. And we need someone, the people of Israel needed that person, that priest who would symbolically bear the guilt of their sin before God, make that appropriate sacrifice on their behalf so that their sins could be forgiven. And we're meant to see Jesus in that picture, folks. We are meant to see Jesus and his ministry in the garments and in the ministry and in the person of this high priest in Israel. Because as we've been looking through this series on the tabernacle, we've seen that all of these aspects of the tabernacle, including the priests and the garments they wore, were meant to be a type or a shadow of the perfect reality that was to come in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus himself was appointed by God, wasn't he? Jesus himself was appointed before God. He was God's chosen person to make the once-for-all sacrifice to bring people to God. We see that in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20, where it says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And then read these words. He says, it says, He was foreknown before the very foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. In other words, what that is saying is that Jesus, before everything was ever created, the plan of God was that Jesus would come and be the sacrifice for our sins. Before even the fall in the garden of Adam and Eve, God had planned, he'd foreknown that there would be the need for Jesus to come and Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, had already been assigned. He'd already been foreknown, he'd already been pointed out that he would be the one who would come as God's high priest to save his people. And he came at just the right time. 
Jesus was chosen. But not only was he chosen, he also shared a common identity with the people he represented. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He himself was flesh and blood like us. That through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus partook of the same things. And, and that reminds us again of the high priest being called from among the people so that he could understand them, understand their weaknesses, understand all of the frailties and that that go along with our humanity. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, we see the importance of why Jesus had to be a man. For since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Jesus was made like us in our humanness so that he could understand all of the struggles that we face in our lives, but he was the one who perfectly overcame them through the power of God. And because he knows our deepest weaknesses and our deepest struggles and our deepest trials in our lives, doesn't that give us hope and comfort knowing that no matter what we face, Jesus understands Doesn't that give us encouragement in our hearts that when no one in this world can understand the hurt and the despair and the discouragement and the fear and the the difficulties that we face in our lives, Jesus knows. And he cares. Because he bears you on his heart. And he came to die for you so that you would have hope. Hope beyond all the struggles and the, and the, and the, the pressures of this daily living. And hope in the midst of all of the struggles and the pressures of this daily living. Do you see the difference? Jesus had to be like us that he could understand us, but that he could also be our perfect representative before God as someone like us. However, he was also distinct in that Jesus was also fully God. In the one person, fully God and fully man. He was holy and he was the holy and glorious, sinless son of God. Colossians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, the philosophies and the foolish philosophies of this world and empty deceit according to human tradition. See to it that no one takes you captive in your minds and in your hearts by foolish philosophies of this world today. according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When someone says to you in, you know, in your conversations or whether you're at university or lectures and things like that or whether you're in the workplace and someone says to you that Jesus, you know, he's not God... He was a good teacher and someone, you know, he was an admiral kind of a person to follow. 
Folks, that is the philosophies, the empty and foolish philosophies of human tradition today. And see to it that you do not be taken captive in your minds and in your hearts by these things, but recognize that in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. One John three five says, "You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin." There is only ever one person that has walked the face of this earth who can say that they were sinless before God, and that is Jesus Christ. And therefore, every single one of us need Him as our Savior. For we cannot hope to bring ourselves to God in any other way. Jesus, through his sacrifice and ministry in in the heavenly tabernacle, in the heavenly presence of God, is able to bring us to God. Because he is perfect man and perfect God, only he is able to bring us to God. He bears our names on his shoulders, so to speak. He carries our burdens. He comes before God and he intercedes for, for us on behalf of us before God, that we are remembered before God. Hebrews seven twenty five says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus himself today is seated at the right hand of God there in the heavenly tabernacle in the very presence of God and he intercedes on our behalf. And when the devil comes and say, you know, and, 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 and brings about you know, all of these thoughts and doubts in our mind that we don't belong to God, that we're too sinful for God, that we've failed too often, and Jesus is able to, 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 re, to remind us to say, you know what, Jesus stands before God and says, he is ours, he is ours, Father, she is ours, Father. Because I have died in their place for their sins. They belong to us. And so when the devil comes and he starts sowing those kinds of doubt in your mind, that that's when you say to him, you know what? My faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ who stands at the right hand of the, of the, of the Father in heaven and who intercedes for me. He is there saying to God, he or she is ours. Do you know that? What a great and glorious thing. That even today, at this very point in time, Jesus stands there before the throne in heaven and he looks down on all these people in the world and he says, You are mine. You are mine. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? The enemy wants to condemn But Christ Jesus, who is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul says, there's no one to condemn if Christ is there interceding on our behalf. Jesus bears us on his heart. He has our interest at heart. He saw our need and he acted. But not only that, Jesus, as we saw in the high priest, has God's will as his first priority. That he is the one who obeyed God fully. His purpose was to perfectly do the Father's will. 
John chapter 6 and verse 38, what does it say? It says, For I have come here from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to have my own way. Jesus came to do the Father's will perfectly and obediently. He had the purposes of God first and foremost on his heart. And what were the purposes of God? We see that in the next two verses of John chapter 6 where it says, And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them to eternal life at the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who sees his Son and believes on him should have eternal life that I should raise him at the last day. Do you see that? For it is my Father's will that everyone who sees his Son, that is, sees not just with their eyes, but sees with their heart the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ is and all that he has done to bring them to God and believes on him. That is the person that Jesus will indeed raise on the last day. Is that you today? Is that you today? Have you indeed seen his son and believed on him, trusted in him for your own salvation? Come before God and recognize your sin before God, the fact that it separates you from God and that you need someone to bring you into the presence of God and that person can only be Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus like that today? Oh, I trust you have. Because it is our only hope. As our great high priest, Jesus is the one who bears our guilt. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is the one who bears our guilt. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he has borne our guilt. He has borne our sin and paid the righteous penalty for our sin before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I haven't got this up there, but it says, for our sake, Jesus was made, or God made Jesus to be sin. He who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the very righteousness of God. See, folks, in order to be reconciled to God, in order to have God's approval, we need our great high priest in Jesus Christ. We need to be connected to him by faith. We need to trust in him and him alone as our means of having our sins paid for and forgiven. We need to daily give our lives over to him so that we can daily have victory over our sin. First Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There was a purpose in Jesus dying. It wasn't just for the fact that we would have our sins forgiven and be brought into this new relationship with God, but that we would die to sin and live to what? Righteousness. Live to God and to be the people who he has called us to be, the people who he has saved us to be, his people. Holy people.
First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says that we ourselves have, be, have become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a people that he has brought out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious kingdom of light, that we might declare the excellencies of him who has done that for us. That's what our lives have got to be about every single day, folks, living for the excellencies, living to declare and proclaim the excellencies of God and all that he has done for us and all that he has done for anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their high priest, as their saviour. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, that's it in a nutshell. To proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his glorious and wonderful kingdom of light, who has brought you to himself, who cares for you, who provides for you, who nurtures you, who, who watches over you every single minute of every single day. That is our God. Oh, there should be a ringing out. Praise God and hallelujah in this place. Amen. Amen. Yes. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for, to God, which is your spiritual worship. And let me tell you that when we abound in the work of the Lord... As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, folks, our labour is not in vain. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for this beautiful picture of the high priest in Exodus 28 and how it points to Jesus Christ as our high priest. The one who indeed represents us before you, the one who indeed actually brings us into your very presence by the offering of himself as our sacrifice for sin. We want to thank you this morning that we can have the confidence of knowing if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we are yours. belong to you and that we have got a saviour who knows us intimately he knows what we're made of he understands our weaknesses he knows when we fail and yet he's so gracious and loving and merciful towards us that having given his life and being raised from the dead he says I have paid for your sins myself and you no longer have to you no longer have to, to, to fear God's judgment. You can come boldly and confidently into the presence of God and know that you will find help in your time of need. That is our high priest Jesus Christ and we praise you for that. Amen.
we've had, uh, I think, feels a bit like rapid fire truth, machine gun of truth there. Thank you, Duncan. Amazing truth, isn't it? That Christ has now made us dead to sin and alive to 